lesson this morning will be taken from Luke 22, verses 17 through 20. We've been uh, looking at the Passover and what the Passover was. And today we'll look at the fulfillment of the Passover where the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. So let's read these verses together. Luke chapter 22, verse 17. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Now there's five things that I want us to learn or at the very least be reminded of concerning this blessed ordinance. First of all, I want us to focus on who instituted the supper. This is not an ordinance uh, derived by a committee or denomination or system of any kind. This is something our Lord did. Nobody was expecting this. They came to eat the Passover. They had no idea, although He had told them plainly several times, they had no idea what was about to happen. And yet, He instituted this supper. The Passover was called in Scripture a feast. The Feast of Unleavened Bread which is called the Passover. And Christ is the founder of it. He's the one who instituted it. He instituted it way back yonder in Egypt. And now He's about to fulfill it. It was all about Him back then. It's, all, it's still all about Him. And He's about to fulfill it. And even so, when I think of the fulfillment of it, should I think of it in lesser terms? It's a feast. Hey, we're going to, Lord willing, take the Lord's Supper here in a little while. But you can see these little bits of bread. that You can't hardly look at that and think about a feast. But it's not the bread that's the feast. It's the Son of God. That's the feast. And my soul, how, there's anything, anything a sinner could ever want is in Him. It's in Him. No one suggested to our Lord to institute this ordinance. He simply got up and did it. And then commanded them to keep it. The church has no business concerning the Lord's table or baptism except to keep them. That's the church's business concerning baptism and the Lord's table. It's not to be... Uh, fenced or assigned to a certain day or limited to a certain number, nor is there to be anything attached to it. 
Our Lord is the founder of the feast, and we're to keep it exactly as he exampled it. And then the second thing I want you to see here is an explanation of the ordinance. These blessed disciples had no more idea of what was coming about. They, they had no idea that he was going to go and be rejected and, and suffer beatings and pain and be nailed to a cross as a common criminal. They had no idea, even though he told them. And I know it's the same thing for many of us. There was a first time to see him. There's a first time. I, I took bread and wine as a child because I, I professed faith and so they gave me the bread and the wine and I drank it and ate it, but I had no idea what I was doing. I had no discerning of it. It was just a, it was just a, a, something to... You, it's Sunday, I guess we'll go to church. <laughs> but I didn't have any understanding of why or what I was going there for. And same thing with the bread and the wine. There's a first time to see it and a first time uh, to actually partake of it and a first time for me to enter into it. They were there to eat the Passover lamb with unleavened bread, and so they did. And then to their surprise, this man arises and passes around a cup of wine. Wine, not grape juice, not Kool-Aid, not punch. He passed around wine and told them what it symbolized. He said in verse 20, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Let me read you something over here in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Now listen. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The new covenant is the old covenant. It's the original covenant. It's the everlasting covenant. Well, why would he call it a new covenant? Because it was newly manifested. It was newly revealed. The everlasting covenant of grace, and he calls it new because it's newly manifested. Made known in the light of Christ the surety of it, and by his death and by his blood. And he is, in a symbolic way, giving us an explanation of this blessed ordinance and of his death which was about to happen. The old supper had drawn to a close. It had served its purpose, reached its goal. And standing with the blood and, uh, with the bread and the wine was he that was about to fulfill it. 
He tells us that this table is symbolic of his broken body and his shed blood. In our in the account here in the book of Luke, uh, I didn't go check all the other ones, but I, I'm pretty sure all the rest of them say this is my body which is broken for you. Luke says this is my body which is given for you. It's given to be broken. And as the Passover was eaten physically, the Lord's table now pictured a spiritual feast. Over in John chapter 6, verse 53, the Lord said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Understanding him to be talking about cannibalism. Many of his disciples walked away and they said he's, he's went off the deep end, you know. It was good for a time, but I have to draw the line here, you know. They said this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Believers. Believers hear it. They understand it. He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. They're to be spiritually understood. This eating is a spiritual act, not a physical act. The Catholics talk about the Eucharist. The wine, when it goes into your mouth, actually turns into the blood of Christ. And and the bread actually turns into the body of Christ. Well, if that were so, it would be cannibalism, wouldn't it? It's just ridiculous. This whole thing is symbolic. This whole thing is just picturing what the Lord is doing. It's the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And the words that I speak unto you are spirit and they are life. And notice in that passage there in in John 6.63, the word spirit's not capitalized. He's talking about spiritual understanding. Paul said, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness unto him. There's no magic involved in this. There's no transformation of anything. Salvation doesn't come through eating the bread and drinking the wine. And then the third thing I want us to see here. He tells us what this feast is all about. And then the third thing I want us to see here is the simplicity of the ordinance, bread and wine. What could more fully set forth Christ to us than the heavenly bread? I am the bread. That's what he said. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Paul said for me to live is Christ. That's my bread. Spiritually speaking, he's my daily bread. And bread is to be eaten, taken within. We draw nourishment from what we eat, the same spiritually. I don't know the science behind our dietary needs. I'm not a doctor. But as these things pertain to a natural man, but I do know that his words are spirit and they're life. He said this way, way back in the Old Testament. Moses wrote this. 
Man does not live by bread alone. He does live by bread. They ate, they ate the manna that came down from heaven. They took it, they prepared it, and they ate it. They took it within them, took the nourishment from them. But man does not live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. That's, that's what he lives on. And even so, we're going to take this bread here in a little bit. And we take that bread. There may be some little nourishment in it. I don't know. I don't know the science behind those things. But there's nourishment in it spiritually. His righteousness is revealed, he said, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And faith cometh, he said. He didn't know about faith came. He said faith cometh. It continues to come. It, it flows by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Faith must be fed. What you feed on? The bread of life. And wine. Wine symbolic of the blood of Christ. I was reading this in a dictionary. I just, every now and then I get interested in something. I look it up in the dictionary. The dictionary says fermentation enhances preservation. Huh? It enhances preservation. And consuming such can also boost beneficial bacteria and probiotics. And naturally speaking, wine has many beneficial effects, improved digestion, better immunity, and even weight loss. Now, if that's so naturally speaking, how much more spiritually? And in everything I just mentioned, spiritually, you think about that. Just in the light of these few things, can you see the, the parallel in, in these spiritual benefits? Paul said, though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. That outward man, he's, he's forever hurting and, <laughs> I'll tell you, getting old is not for wimps. <laughs> it hurts. And though his outward man perish, yet that inward man, he's not touched by these things. He's renewed day by day. And there's a spiritual simplicity in these ordinances. There's a simplicity in the elements of it. And secondly, there's a simplicity in the arrangement of it. Natural man likes to, he likes to dress up these simple ordinances, don't he? He likes to add a little pomp and pageantry to it. He'll have a priest in full get up. And he'll come around and he has, he has some altar boys, I suppose is what you call them, and they, and they're dressed up. And here they come and they've got these things with them. And then the priest, he, he has a tongue suppressor and you kneel down, everybody kneels down and he holds your tongue down and then he lays, he takes up tongs with all the Greek writing on it and he lays that little wafer on your tongue. Uh, man loves to dress things up, don't he? The Lord took a cup of wine 
He didn't pour it into little glasses like we got. He had a cup of wine. He said, here, divide it among yourself. Everybody got a taste. And then he told them what it was all about. Oh, why, why would men do that? Why, why would they add all these things to it? Because they don't have anything on the inside. The less you have on the inside, the more you have to have on the outside. Is that right? Yeah. You got to have the stained glass windows. You got to have the got to have the incense. You got to have the the aura when you walk in and the big pipe organs and elevated pulpits way up in the air and all this kind of stuff. The bread and the wine is symbolic of what Christ has done for us and what He's now doing. And if we have little or no Christ within, then visual and physical is all that we have. And we're craving. We pour out a little bit of wine in these small containers and break the bread up and pass it out. And we're not told anywhere in the Scripture to come up with something on our own to say. Did you know that? I went back and read as many references as I could find to this supper. You know what they said? Exactly what the Lord said. Huh? Nobody come up with their own slogan. Nobody come up with their own ideas. Nobody come up with with an improvement. They said the night he passed it out, he said, take and eat. Take and drink. In 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul's talking to them about communion, he repeats the words of Christ, and this he does by the inspiration of God the Holy Ghost. And he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. This is the new testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. What did the Lord say? That very thing. That very thing. Alright, here's the fourth thing we need to consider. The recipients of it. Who's to take it? Who is it that needs to keep this ordinance? Who's commanded to keep it? Disciples of Christ. Followers of Christ. Believers. Were his death for all men, then this ordinance would be for all men. Had he come into this world to save all men, then all men would have an interest in this bread and this wine. People that eat this bread and drink this wine have an interest in Him of whom these things represent. If He was a universal high priest, then a universal priesthood would be engaged to keep it. The Lord's Supper is called in 1 Corinthians 10.16 the communion of the blood of Christ. That word communion means common union. That's what that means. We all have a common interest, a common union with Christ, all His people. We're one with Him. 
And the blood is, uh, the bread is called the communion of the body of Christ. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread, which is Christ. There could be no remembering of his broken body or shed blood by those who don't know anything about it. What will you remember? This ordinance is for believers, people called to the Son, called by His grace, born of His Spirit, made meet to be partakers of the inheritance of enlightened saints. And you cannot remember what you've never known or celebrate what you've never received. You see what I'm saying? And then lastly, what's the qualifications of it? Boy, that's a big thing in churches, isn't it? Some religions do what they call fencing the table. They literally build a fence around it. You can't, you're going to have to come up to their specifications or you can't take it. That's what it means to fence the table. If you're not a member in good standing of that particular church, you don't qualify to partake of it. It's a closed communion, they say. Some go as far as to examine the lives of those coming to the table and then refusing some the privilege because they're too big a sinner. I, you know, I wonder, do people ever read the Scriptures? Salvation's for sinners. If you prove me to be the biggest sinner in the world, all you've done is qualified me for the grace of God. You qualified me for it. I'm not excommunicated. I'm not blocked from it. You just made me, you just made me qualified. Salvation, the whole don't need a physician. And I love this. Our Lord said something when He instituted the supper that I hope I never forget. I never will forget the first time I read it. And I hope it, I hope it's indelibly stamped on your mind when you hear it. Here it is. Luke 22, verse 20. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Now listen. But, behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. Our Lord knew who Judas was. Didn't he? He knew what Judas was going to do. He told him ahead of time. He told him ahead of time. Have not I chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil? He told me he knew exactly who Judas was and exactly what Judas was about to do. But our Lord come over and broke the bread and said, Here, Judas, here's the cup. Here's the bread. Now how silly would it be for me to go around to each one of you and make you Huh? Well, I heard a little something on you. <laughs> really? I'm surprised you didn't hear more. <laughs> oh, my soul. He knew who the betrayer was. He knew what he was going to do and when he would do it. And yet he did not bar him from the table, but himself gave Judas the wine and the bread. 
Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. Let me show you something over here. There was not a more troubled church in the New Testament than the Corinthian church. They had all kinds of trouble. And Paul speaks to them on this very subject of being worthy or unworthy to partake of the suffering. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. But, are you listening now? Let a man examine himself. Let that go on to you. He's not telling me to examine him. He said, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. It was never charged to the pastors to examine men and women to whom this ordinance was passed out, nor to deacons, nor church committees, nor denominational bylaws or anything else. It's to be set before the congregation through the preaching of the gospel and then served to those who have examined themselves in the light of that gospel. Verse 29, 1 Corinthians 11. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Now watch this. Not discerning the Lord's body. The body of Christ is that by which we're reconciled. You can read about it over Colossians. And you, he said, that were sometime alienated in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled through the body of his flesh through death to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Here's the one thing that makes a man unworthy. He can't discern the Lord's body. He don't understand why he had to die. He don't understand the satisfaction involved in it, the sufficiency of it, nothing to have to do it. He he's, he's, has no understanding about the death of Christ. Salvation is for sinners, and sinners have found hope in the body and blood of Christ. And if he's not died in our place and satisfied God's justice and righteousness in his death, then we have no hope. We have no hope whatsoever. Just as Paul said, we know whom we have believed. We understand his death. We understand the necessity of it the reality of it, the eternality of it, the sufficiency of it, and the satisfaction of it, and we rejoice in it. And when we examine ourselves for worthiness, it's not an examination of our good works or dedication or consecration or any of these things. It's to see, do I 
discern, is this my hope? The broken body and shed blood, is all my hope in Him? Do I understand that? This blood is the blood of a substitute. His body is the body of a representative man. We who were sometime alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works, yet in the body of His flesh through death, He reconciled us. Reconciled us. And He tells us, if, there's an if attached to that, He said, if we continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. That's the Lord's table. It's so simple. It's so simple. You know, when the Lord did things, He a child could understand them. What what makes these things so complicated? I'm telling you, when you you start studying theology, you have to get a dictionary just to read the men who wrote books about theology. What makes it so complicated, men? Men, our Lord rarely used more than two syllables in a word. And usually just one. <laughs> and and his, all of his uh, parables, all of, they were so simple. And baptism, I mean, what does baptism represent? And they've got so much attached to baptism that it's, you could preach on it from now on. It's the simplicity of it. The bread is his body. The wine is his blood. And you do it. Why do you do it? So I can taste his body? No. We do this in remembrance of him. In remembrance of him. All right. Thank you.